This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Before we start, you'll have heard about this week's verdict against the conspiracy theorist and host of InfoWars, Alex Jones, ordered by a Connecticut jury to pay just short of a billion dollars in damages to the people who suffered from his false claim that the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting was a hoax. Now, we spoke to one of the experts on Alex Jones, the inimitable John Ronson, on the podcast a few months ago, and we'll link back to that in the episode description for today's show. Last week, we heard of some hope coming from democratic quarters when strategist Simon Rosenberg told us about why what he's seeing has him convinced that the midterm elections are much more up for grabs than the conventional wisdom would have you believe. But there is a source of worry coming from the American West. Nevada, a state previously considered pretty blue, is showing some signs of red and Republicans are hoping to pounce. Well, thank you very much. This is a nice, big, beautiful crowd. You parking 10 miles deep. Donald Trump held his 20th rally there last weekend. So this week, I look at why Nevada could prove fatal to the Democrats if it turns red in November. I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. Well, the big difference this year is that uh, there has been a surge in non-major party registration in Nevada, which has changed the dynamic and made it much more uncertain. John Ralston is considered by many to be the voice of Nevada politics. He's been reporting on it for more than 30 years. He writes for the non-profit online news site, which he set up a few years ago, the Nevada Independent. I've been uh, saying how important Nevada is for years, and finally people are listening to me, Jonathan, so that's nice to know. (laughs) Uh, We have been important in presidential cycles, as you know, once we became an early state back in 2008, and we've been a swing state in general elections for a while as well. Uh, But this time, we not only have very close Senate and governor's races, both of which are nationally watched, but with the House in play, Three out of our four congressional seats are also uh, up for grabs and are considered toss-up races. So uh, we could play a a sizable role in in control of the Senate and the House. 
All right, well, let's plunge in then with these specifics. Uh, you've you've set you've set the sort of frame there. Uh, Donald Trump was in your state last week. What was he doing there? And you're going to elect an incredible slate of true America first Republicans up and down the ballot, and we are going to end crazy Nancy Pelosi's political career once and for all. Well, that's a very good question, uh, actually. Uh, Trump, as you know, is a polarizing figure. And Nevada is essentially three different states in one. You have two urban areas, uh, one surrounding Las Vegas and one surrounding Reno. And then you have 15 rural counties, all of which are very, very red. And Trump appeared in one of the rural counties to help both the Senate candidate, Adam Laxalt, and the gubernatorial candidate, Joe Lombardo, in an effort to make sure that rural turnout is high this time. Republicans cannot win in Nevada unless the, the rural uh, counties turn out in great numbers uh, because they, they will win by landslides there. But the margin of the landslide could be important because they are trying to offset losses in the more populous areas, especially Clark County, which is Las Vegas and is still a very democratic county, although not as much as it used to be. And this became familiar to people in 2020, even a bit in 2016, where Democrats would win big cities. It happened in other states as well, but in Nevada, a big city like Las Vegas. And then Republicans racking up these enormous wins in all the other bits of the state, the less populous bits of the state. And sometimes that was enough to eke out a win. So that was the strategy there. And Donald Trump doing that, usually he doesn't usually do things for the sake of the bigger cause. Usually it's for himself. But you're saying there he, his motive was to get Republicans elected. Well, that's the motive of the people here. Uh, his motive is, is is always very narcissistic, and uh, he just wanted to soak in the crowd and, and do his usual spiel of conspiracy theories and victimization. For six straight years, the witch hunts, hoaxes, and abuses have been coming at us fast and furious. They come at all of us. First, we learned they spied on my campaign. Think of it. But the, the goal of the, of the local Republicans is to try to make sure that the base turnout is as high as possible. The gambit here for the Republicans is Joe Biden only won Clark County by nine and a half points. Uh, and if they can hold the gubernatorial and Senate candidates and other statewide candidates, by the way, for the Democrats under that margin in Clark County, the rural turnout could determine the winner of the race. And this really matters, particularly because of that Senate race. As we've been saying on this podcast for months, the Senate is obviously in an absolute photo finish. It's just 50-50 with the you know, Democrats having control because of the vice president breaking the tie there. So even just one Senate seat flipping could affect the entire complexion of who controls the Senate. Nevada has been in the Democrats' column, but now people are saying that this incumbent senator, she holds the seat now, but up for re-election, she's vulnerable. Now tell us who she is and why she is vulnerable. Well, let me just say, you all, you all told me we were going to turn Nevada blue, and we did. Well, Catherine Cortez Masto is a first-term senator. She took Harry Reid's seat, the legendary Harry Reid, who retired in 2016, and handpicked her. Uh, she had been a, an attorney general here for two terms uh, and, and was a very well-respected figure. 
Um, she didn't win by much in, in when she first ran in 2016. It was about two and a half points, and she she defeated a very, very good candidate, much better candidate than she's running against this time by about two and a half points, and only really because that candidate, uh, a congressman by the name of Joe Heck, kind of flip-flopped on Trump at the end, and that that widely seen as costing him uh, the election, or at least probably cost him the election. She is not a dynamo. She is not a well-known senator. She's much more, as I've been saying, a workhorse than a show horse, which to some extent, by the way, has frustrated even some of the Democratic partisans here because she has not sought publicity when they think she should have. So she's a low-profile figure. She comes from a political family, so she's savvy as well. Uh, and she has run a very, very good campaign. Uh, people on both sides of the aisle have admired uh, her discipline, her work ethic, and her media, which uh, has been very sharp with very few uh, exceptions. And yet she's trailing in the polls. She's the incumbent. That normally is an advantage. And yet she's behind her Republican opponent. Tell us about him and why he's in front of her. We're living in different times. And so we need to have a senator that's going to oppose a lot of these things that, that have been coming out of the far left. And right now, Nevada doesn't have that in Senator Masto. Adam Laxalt uh, did not grow up in Nevada, even though he's from a, a, a family whose uh, his grandfather was a governor and U.S. senator uh, here back in the 60s and 70s and retired in the mid 80s. But he is not well known won in a huge upset uh, in 2014 uh, for attorney general, immediately started running for governor uh, and then lost the governor's race, then immediately clambered on board the Trump campaign. And uh, he, he was the face of the Trump campaign in Nevada and the person who uh, was the face of the big lie in Nevada, making all kinds of unsupported allegations about fraud in the Nevada election. We had a lot of improper ballots being mailed to people's homes and apartment buildings and across the valley. Uh, Laxalt then uh, used uh, the, the publicity from all of that to, to solidify uh, his following within the Republican Party here and announced for Senate. And it is a measure, Jonathan, of, of where we are in this state, in this country, that a candidate like Adam Laxalt, who is not a very good candidate, could win because of the atmospherics, because of the uncertainty of the registration numbers here in Nevada. And because, frankly, uh, with Harry Reid, uh, the aforementioned Harry Reid not being around anymore, there are questions about whether uh, what has been called the Reid machine, which is the Democratic turnout machine in Nevada, is going to work the way that it has in the past. And yet, John Ralston, despite this worry uh, that Adam Laxalt for the Republicans might unseat and topple the incumbent Democrat. We had some bizarre news on Wednesday that 14 members of Adam Laxalt's own family are going to endorse his opponent, uh, Cortez Masto. So I suppose she can take solace in knowing, you know, she has their votes, at least, uh, from the Laxalt family. But on paper, you would look at this race generally and say, look, here's Nevada, a state that Democrats have very often been uh, running or, or winning. It's not like this is one of these uphill climbs when they have to flip a Republican seat. And she herself, Cortez Master, is the first 
Latina to serve in the Senate. And we know that Nevada has a substantial Hispanic population. All of those things put together would make you think that, you know, comparatively, she was pretty safe. You've set out some of the reasons why she isn't. And I suppose part of that is to ask you, what is going on with that Latino vote in Nevada? Are some of them turning, trending Republican? Yeah, it's, it's a phenomenon, as you know, that's going on across the country. Republicans think they have an opportunity with a disaffected Hispanic electorate that is, you know, just, just like uh, everyone else affected by high gas prices and inflation and, and, and it's the, the, they're hurting in the way that some other demographics are hurting. But as you mentioned, uh, Hispanics have been a key demographic for Democrats here for many, many cycles. Uh, Democrats have generally won with Hispanics here statewide by two to one margins or greater. Certainly Barack Obama did and Hillary Clinton did when she won the state. Uh, and uh, Joe Biden did very well among Hispanics here too, although not, not with quite the landslide. But here you have, as you mentioned, the first Latina, only Latina ever elected to the U.S. Senate. And uh, if she can't pull landslide numbers against Adam Laxalt among Hispanics, she is going to lose this race. The Club for Growth, which is a Republican uh, super PAC, uh, has just invested $2 million in Spanish language uh, media here, which has never been done in this state. Usually Republicans have just uh, uh, ignored Spanish language media or just done SOPs uh, to Spanish language uh, media. That is a sign that they believe that they can cut into that to that margin. I take all the organizational points you've made, but what's going on there? We, we've, we know there's different things going on in Florida and elsewhere, but what explains that lack of immediate automatic affinity for the Democrats in this community that was once so solid for the party? There is a sense of being taken for granted uh, by, by the Hispanic community uh, here, by the Democratic Party. And what have they gotten for it? They got crushed here in the pandemic. The Culinary Union, 98% of the workers lost their jobs. They're still coming back from that. There were big problems with the unemployment system. And so I think there is some, you know, what have you done for me lately? Uh, 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 why do you just expect us to use your word to be automatic for you? And so they're having the Democrats like Catherine Cortez Masto, even though she is one of their own and a great symbol for many of them, are having to make the case again why the Democrats are better than the Republicans for Hispanics. By the way, they think that the abortion issue, which has become obviously a big deal in most of these campaigns, or at least Democrats hope it's it's a big deal in, in, in the post-Dob decision world, they have polling that indicates that Hispanics respond to, 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 to uh, pro-choice arguments. So they're making that case in a very targeted way as well. That's a live debate, actually. Bernie Sanders, former presidential candidate, wrote a piece for us for The Guardian this week saying that Democrats will be making a mistake if they focus too strongly on the abortion rights issue and instead should focus on economics and promising uh, that better days could be ahead. I'm just wondering, given the how Nevada is faring economically, buffeted by pretty tough economic circumstances, if you were advising Democrats in your state of Nevada, which issue is going to play better for them? To push the abortion rights denied by that Supreme Court judgment or to push the old-fashioned bread and butter economic arguments, even at a time when Democrats are in charge and inflation is surging? 
So I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. And Bernie Sanders is very, very consistent on these kinds of things, as you know, in, in stressing the, these, these kinds of uh, economic arguments over almost anything else. And I do think that the Democrats need to stress that too, although it's, they don't want to talk about it as much because a lot of people blame Joe Biden and the Democrats for uh, inflation for high gas prices. Whether that's fair or not is not the issue. The Republicans have seized on that. The abortion issue is is different in this sense. It's it's designed to get uh, a people who might not vote in a midterm, very young women uh, who who may have just registered to vote to and and, and may be pro-choice to go out to vote when they might not vote in a midterm to get suburban Republican moderate women to cross over. Uh, that It's designed to, to, to just get marginal turnout up. And if these races are as close, the Senate race especially, as the polls show, that could make a difference. Uh, the, 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 there, there, is, there are people who believe what Bernie Sanders believes, that they're focusing too much on it. But when you're Catherine Cortez Masto and you have raised more money uh, than, than anyone else has ever raised here, uh, you can afford to do both. Let's talk about another demographic group entirely. Um, people uh, outside the country know that there are large numbers of Mormons in the state of Utah. Perhaps less known is that there are large numbers as well of that community in Nevada. Again, assumption would be that they are straightforward Republican voters, but tell me if that's wrong. Uh, most of them are Republican voters, although there are Democratic Mormons. In fact, Harry Reid was a Democratic Mormon. The Mormon influence in Nevada elections is much more pronounced in primaries, in Republican primaries, than it is anymore in the general election. Uh, they are in single digits in population, but they vote in huge numbers disproportionate to, 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 that, to that single digit. So they can make a difference in close races, and they are generally very conservative, certainly pro-life. And so targeted pitches to Mormons uh, also could make a difference if a race is very close. That's fascinating. There is also another race that's got interest in the state. I mean, most eyes are on Nevada because of that uh, Senate vote uh, contest, which could, like every other uh, Senate seat that's close, decide who controls the Senate for the next uh, period. But these, there's also interest at a contest that normally would not get people uh, outside the state uh, particularly curious, and that is for the position of Secretary of State, and that is, in effect, the top election official. You've got there a candidate who is, in some ways, a sort of prince among the election deniers, those who believe that uh, Donald Trump was denied an election that should have been his and that he was the true winner in 2020. Tell us about him and, and why that contest is significant. Hello, Nevada. I know you're excited to see President Trump, and so are we, the greatest president of our lifetime. Uh, I, I'm, I'm surprised that you demoted him to prince. He should probably be the king of, of, of election deniers, although I suppose <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's Donald Trump, right? Uh, but yeah, right. You, you are right. Jim Marchant, uh, is a, a former assemblyman, a one-term assemblyman who ran unsuccessfully for Congress in 2020 and immediately cried voter fraud and ever since has been descending 
uh, into this vortex of conspiracy uh, theories. And he is a, he was influenced by uh, someone in QAnon. He has said all kinds of nonsensical things, including that uh, we haven't elected anyone legitimately in Nevada since 2006, not realizing perhaps that or, or forgetting that he was elected to the assembly in 2016. <laughs> so, but, but, but what's very shocking about this uh, to me is that Jim Marchant is ahead in the polls slightly. Uh, there's still a lot of undecided in that race because he's running against an unknown opponent and because everything is so tribal, people already are not even listening to those kinds of things and just seeing what letter the, the candidate has after his or her name and voting accordingly. And the reason why this is, I suppose, desperately serious is if people like Jim Marchant and the others win, they will be the ones acting as arbiters of the uh, presidential election of 2024 in Nevada. And if these are people who are not really looking, counting the votes and looking at the evidence, it's possible they could throw the election against the will of the Nevada's voters and try and hand it to Donald Trump in 2024, should he be the Republican candidate in that year. Yeah, Jim Marchand has essentially said what you just said. You're going to elect me as your secretary of state because I oversee the election system. Without using some of the pejorative language, uh, that and, and, and he wants to get rid of early voting. He has already installed one of his acolytes as a clerk who oversees elections in one of the rural counties. Uh, and, and so he, he has power to do, to do some things. The only check on, on Jim Marchand, if he were to win, would be the legislature trying to restrict the powers of the Secretary of State. But I, uh, I, I, I happened to see a couple of focus groups recently, Jonathan, of, of, of voters in Nevada, one group of nine and one group of eight, not only did, did they not know anything about Jim Marchand, they did not know what the Secretary of State did. Uh, and so this is, this is why the tribalism is so dangerous uh, and why someone like a Jim Marchand could get elected. So one way or, or another, the big themes of current American politics, uh, whether they are the mobilization of women voters about abortion rights, whether it's the uh, potential crumbling of the Latino vote for Democrats or the risk that a whole lot of people who are election or democracy deniers suddenly gain in the commanding heights of America's electoral democracy. All those issues that are nationwide issues are being played out right there in Nevada. Uh, it's very true. You make me want to move uh, to London where I once lived, uh, the way you describe <laughs> our country now, Jonathan. Yeah, it's all true. It's it's we're a microcosm of what's going on uh, in 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 America. I like to say we're 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 the center of the political universe uh, right now. And Nevada, uh, you know, is is often seen you know, on the East Coast and probably even farther uh, east uh, where you are is kind of this weird, quirky state. Uh, and but we we really are a, a melting pot. Las Vegas is a very demographically diverse. Uh, city uh, with most of the population of the state. The rural-urban divide is very pronounced here in the way it is in most other states, as you alluded to uh, earlier. And so um, uh, what happens in Nevada? Does it stay in Nevada? I'm not so sure. So let's see how the next few weeks are going to play out. It's less than a month now till Election Day. How do you envisage the two big parties slugging it out in your state in the, in the final straight? 
Well, it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, we're, we're already being inundated with ads. You can't turn on the television or watch something on YouTube or open your phone without seeing these ads. So it's, it's going to be constant. One thing that's uh, uh, unique to Nevada, well, it's the, the process isn't unique, but the numbers are in general, is that uh, we have early voting that starts a week from Saturday and goes for two weeks. The general pattern in Nevada has been that two-thirds of the electorate votes early. So election day, uh, even if the Republicans do well, it does not matter. It's unclear if that can happen or not this year. We'll know once people start voting. There's also been a change of sending everybody mail ballots now, which the Republicans, of course, object to, even though they used to use mail ballots as their go-to way to vote, of course. But that could change the turnout, uh, could make it higher turnout than usual for a midterm. Uh, and, And I have to tell you, because all these races are so close, Jonathan, you are going to see lawyers from both parties from across the country descending here on election day and in the aftermath. And you're going to have disputes, I would guess, about who should vote and who shouldn't vote. And, and, and I, I'm really fearing that there could be chaos on Election Day. And do you expect in this last run, yes, we know there's reports that the Democrats are going to you know, mount a rescue mission uh, for Cortez and for the others and putting in millions of dollars in TV advertising, particularly in the Las Vegas TV market. But also, could there be a presidential visit? Do you think Trump spin? Do you think Biden will pitch up in Nevada? I do not think that any of the Democrats here want Joe Biden to come. His numbers here are either right below or right above 40%. They have done everything they can not to be associated with him. And the Republicans have done everything they can to tie Biden to all of the Democrats. So even if Biden wanted to come, the Democrats, including Cortez Masto, I would guess would say, stay home, Joe. Now, John, we do always like to ask a what else question on the podcast about something completely different going on in U.S. political news. This week, the former Hawaii congresswoman and candidate in 2020, Tulsi Gabbard, on Tuesday, she announced she's leaving the Democratic Party because, and I quote, she says the party is under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who are driven by cowardly wokeness who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism. I'm calling on my fellow common sense, independent-minded Democrats to join me in leaving the Democratic Party. Those are the words of Tulsi Gabbard uh, as she walked out the door of the Democrats. We've spoken on this podcast, John, to several former Republicans who left the party, uh, often in protest at Donald Trump. But I think this is one of the highest ranking defections the other way, away from the Democratic Party. What do you make of her move? I think most Democrats would say, what, she's still in the party? I didn't know she was still uh, one, one of us. Uh, she, is, she has been uh, tilting this way for quite uh, some time. I, I, I interviewed Tulsi Gabbard when she was running for president at a forum uh, here, and she was already uh, she wasn't quite spouting the Republican rhetoric of wokeness and and and, and the rest of it, but she has been uh, tilting away. She is, you know, a regular on Fox News. They love her because she's a Democrat who who spouts uh, their 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 kind of rhetoric. And so this will surprise nobody. And I I saw a very prominent Democrat here in Nevada uh, put out on Twitter, uh, uh, "Nice knowing you. Don't let the door hit you." 
kind of message on Twitter, which I think is how most Democrats feel about Tulsi Gabbard at this point. John Ralston of the Nevada Independent, thanks so much for joining me on Politics Weekly America. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that is all from me for this week. But as I mentioned in the last episode, I will be heading to the United States in less than three weeks to see what voters, politicians and activists have to say in key battleground states. Our special election coverage kicks off on November the 2nd. And while I'm there, I'll be hosting a Politics Weekly live event with friends of the podcast, my colleagues David Smith and Lauren Gambino, and the former chair of the Republican National Committee, Michael Steele. The live-streamed event will be on Wednesday, November the 2nd at 8pm UK time, and you can book tickets at theguardian.com forward slash Guardian Live. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Danielle Stevens. The executive producer this week, Max Sanderson. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.